Is it true that the early church leaders all said that there was no future hope for the nation of Israel? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yes, friends, it's thoroughly Jewish Thursday. That means phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884, to take any of your Jewish-related calls. So if they're related to the Hebrew language, related to Judaism today, related to the Hebrew Scriptures, related to the Israeli-Mideastern, Middle Eastern conflict, give me a call. Jewish interpretation of the Bible, Jewish objections to Jesus, 866-348-7884. We'll take those calls, not other calls, today. I do want to enlighten you about what some of the key early church fathers taught about God's promises regarding the future hope of Israel. I want to share some information with you about the Anti-Defamation League and their failure to adequately report their findings about anti-Semitism in the Muslim world. got some interesting clips to play for you as well. And then I uh, want to start here, what has happened recently in Israel. So if, if you've missed the news this week, there was an Islamic Jihad leader, Palestinian Islamic Jihad leader, Baha Abu al-Atta. He was killed by Israeli troops, Israeli um, military in the early hours of the morning Tuesday. So the Palestinian Islamic Jihad uh, targeted uh, Israel with 450 rockets over a two-day period, which then led to retaliatory strikes from Israel. There is, at the moment, a ceasefire. Uh, I've seen it characterized as shaky ceasefire, but there is a ceasefire. Now, some say, well, is it right to assassinate leaders that you believe are terrorists? Well, we do it all the time. America does it. Other nations do it. Israel does it. Now, I read a whole book about targeted killing in Israeli history and what ethics are, are used, how decisions are made. Uh, what if innocent family members will be injured? What, what if there'll be collateral damage and, and, and just civilians will be injured or killed? Or is there a way to capture this person alive? How dangerous are they? Is there a real threat against Jewish lives through this person? Do they have a history of killing people? Uh, and and Unless you're a complete despotic nation and you're just going to kill whoever you want to kill, these are questions that, yes, look, America's taken out known terrorists with drone attacks, and we rejoice with it. You know, when we hear it nationally, we think, wonderful, we got a bad guy. And here, just the, the killing of, of the leader of, uh, of ISIS, actually, he committed suicide as we were about to capture him. But uh, if he had been killed, just like bin Laden was killed, these are targeted assassinations, you could call them. We go after the person. If there's resistance, they're taken out. In some cases, like with a drone attack on an American cleric who was in Yemen and who had sponsored terrorism and provoked terrorism and, and led to bloodshed in, in our, our American shores. So he was just taken out with a drone attack. There was no attempt to capture him. He was taken out. So this is done. Nations do it. It is part of warfare. It is part of defense. But there are consequences when you take out a terrorist leader, then the terrorist followers are going to respond with more terror. Now, 
in Israel, because you do have a government that is made up of Israeli Jews and Palestinian Muslims, uh, because you have that representation, you're going to have fireworks in the Knesset, in the parliament. So just looking at a report, sorry, I don't have it to put on the screen for those watching from World Israel News, that noted that a, that a heated exchange erupted the Knesset between the prime minister and joint Arab list members who walked out of the hall. So as as Prime Minister Netanyahu was speaking against uh, going after these terrorists, then some of the Arab leaders objected and Anyway, things got fiery. There's a fragile unity in Israel. And another report that I'm just reading here and haven't been able to dig deep into it uh, from today, unity back in play, Netanyahu Gantz may be closer to agreement than thought. Um, From what I can tell, with all of the moving pieces involved, from what I can tell, this would be something positive. This would shut out some of the smaller parties that have very specific agenda. And one that concerns me high on the list is the ultra-Orthodox Jewish parties. You say, why? I mean, don't they stand for morality and Torah and things like that? Certain things they do, and I applaud. But other things they do, I believe, are a drain on the government. And more importantly, they will use their position to fight against Jewish believers in the land. They will use their position to stop Messianic Jews from making Aliyah, from emigrating to Israel. They could even try to stop people like me from entering the country to do ministry work and things like that. So when you have the ultra-Orthodox parties that make deals with the government, in other words, you need them to tip the coalition in your favor to get your 61 Knesset seats, what often happens is they say, okay, we want the Ministry of Interior, we want this position, this position, we want these guarantees. Any party, any smaller party is going to do that, all right? Any party is going to use leverage. Say, okay, if you want me in, okay, even though I only have 10 seats, right now you need me to form the coalition, so you're going to have to make disproportionate concessions to me. That happens all the time. It's just the concessions that are made to the ultra-Orthodox are very troubling to me and would definitely affect the freedoms and liberties of Messianic Jews in the land and those seeking to minister in the land. So, And, and then there are other issues of concern as well in terms of, of having uh, too much power over the country. That being said, if you can form a unity government between Blue and White and Likud, and basically just the two of them together, then they have the necessary uh, standing to form a strong unity government. Could they do it? Well, Gantz had said he's not going to serve in a government with Netanyahu and and, and the corruption charges coming against Netanyahu. Maybe things are intense enough. Maybe the thought of a third election is is fraught with enough difficulties. Maybe the paralysis that's on the government right now, maybe all these things are too much. Maybe the idea of smaller parties being the kingmakers, who's going to decide who wins and who leads and how it happens. Maybe the... uh, ongoing terrorist attacks, maybe all those things are enough to make these two men sit down and say, okay, we and our parties are going to work together. Now, look, there is no perfect earthly solution for anything in this planet, okay? When you're talking about, here, America, what is the perfect political solution for racial conflict? What is the perfect political solution for helping the poor? What is the perfect political solution for Uh, strengthening the family. There is no perfect political situation because politics can't bring those perfect solutions, and especially in a country like Israel. But 
there are some things that are better than others, and therefore we pray, God, your best, your will. For many years now, when it comes to Israel government decisions being made, I pray very general prayers for God's best and for his good purposes to come to pass and for security and safety and for religious liberty and for, for his blessing on, on Palestinian Muslims and Israeli Jews, his best for that. I, I pray for those things because to pray more specifically, I, I can't figure it all out. Just like the mess in Syria, who's got the earthly answer for that? Or, or rebuilding some of these nations that have been so destroyed by civil war like Yemen. Or taking sides, okay, I'm going to stand against Iran by standing with Saudi Arabia. How much, how much do you really want to stand with Saudi Arabia? Yes, stand against Iran, but how much do you want to stand with Saudi Arabia? So everything has to be done carefully. Everything, you, you make one decision today, it's going to affect things tomorrow. You help one prop up one party, one group today, they may bite you tomorrow. So we just pray for God's best we act pragmatically. We pray for wisdom for the leaders. We pray for the salvation of all involved, which is the number one most important thing that we can do. Pray for people to come to know Jesus. Pray for Jew and Gentile, Muslim, Arab, Israeli. Pray for them to come to know Jesus, the Messiah, in a true and living way, the Son of God, the eternal Redeemer. Pray for that and then be as practical as you can. Now, having said all that, I just want to remind you, it is really, really safe to visit Israel. It is really, really safe to come to Israel. There is tremendous security. The IDF has done an amazing job. In fact, the security is less visible today than in years past. In other words, so much has been done technologically. So many steps have been taken to combat terror. Uh, So much terrorism is thwarted on a daily basis. It's really very safe uh, to be in Israel. Oh, yeah, Israel has crime like anywhere else, all right? And there's some places safer than others. But especially you go on a tour and things like that where you're staying with the groups that it's wonderfully safe. So never, ever worry about that. If there was ever any concern, tour groups wouldn't go ahead, all right? So all that to say, we've probably got about 35 seats left. That's it. And we may have a rush very soon. Some of the churches I'll be speaking at and sharing this. So if you've been planning on going, May 2020, the 11th to the 20th of May 2020. If you've been planning on signing up, get your deposit in now. If there's still time to get the rest of the payments in, but get your deposit in now. And and I'll say it once again, and I've said it dozens of times, I, I am continually blown away by how powerfully impacted our tourists are as they come, our friends that join us. And of course, you build deeper relationship with the time together. If you're one of our torchbearers, remember, you get 10% off. So if if you're going with your family, then one of you, you take 10% off of the ticket price. So that that could be what you give to us in a whole year. You get back off the ticket price. So take advantage of this. It's something that you don't want to miss. And it's a great time to go as well. So go to AskDrBrown.org, ASK drbrown.org. That's where you go. And just, you'll see right on the homepage, first or second banner that comes up, the Israel tour. Click on that, find out more, find out about the schedule, what we do in the day, what we do in the night. It's, it's really quite extraordinary and can't wait to see you there. All right, 866-348-7884. I'll tell you where we're going next. I am writing a new book 
scheduled to come out next fall on confronting contemporary Christian anti-Semitism. That's not the name of the book, but that's what it's about. I mean, some of the really ugly, ugly, bad stuff that's out there. And one of the most notorious videos and one of the most terribly poorly done in terms of accuracy and facts and, and, and honesty is, is Pastor Stephen Anderson's video, Marching to Zion. I mean, it's, it's really bad. I'm finally going through it carefully. It's almost two hours long. And one of the chapters in my book, I, I devote to debunking some of the junk in there. But Pastor Anderson quotes early church leaders to say they, they basically all said Israel's cursed forever. Israel's no longer God's chosen people. Is that accurate? We'll see you when we come back. 866-34-TRUTH. Phones are open for your Jewish-related questions. of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, yeah. My bad. I forgot our Jewish music and started talking. Welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. You've got the phone number. Critics, questioners, skeptics, seekers. Phone lines are open. 866-348-7884. 866-348-7884. just has to be Jewish-related because it's Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Okay, before I give you some interesting quotes from early church leaders, I was going through some old boxes together with Nancy today, boxes that we had had in storage units for many years, and before that they had been boxes in a basement, one of our houses, and then finally going through boxes haven't opened these in many years. And lo and behold, found all my degrees. Yeah, I knew they were in a box somewhere. So my bachelor's in Hebrew, BA in Hebrew from Queens College and a certificate for excellence in academics there. And then uh, my master's and PhD from New York University. And it's it, maybe we'll put them on a wall. <laughs> we found them. I mean, it's customary to do that. But they've been in boxes because... I so thoroughly died to the idol of scholarship. It had become an idol in my life in late 70s, early 80s, as I was pursuing my doctoral work at that same time, even though I was a committed believer, actively working in my church and, and, and with my family involved in many good works and known as a follower of Jesus in grad school, unashamedly so, I had, though, lost my first love, excuse me, left my first love. I I had left and lost some of the passion and devotion that I had in my earlier years. And I had become intellectually and theologically proud. And as I was working on my doctoral dissertation, God brought me to a, through a season of repentance. And in the season of repentance, brought me into a place of tremendous renewal. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on my life, touched many in my the church where I served as an elder that was 82, 83. And, and then I laid down my doctoral work because I realized these things had become idols in my life prayed and sought the Lord, fasted for over a period of nine months, prayed and fasted and sought him. And then it was given back to me, but not as an idol, as a tool. So I finished my doctoral dissertation, changed the subjects, did my doctoral dissertation, got my PhD in 85. But then just, I never even went to the graduations. In retrospect, it would have been fun. 
But I had so died to the idolatry of it, I, I didn't go to the graduations. And actually, for that matter, I didn't go to my college graduation or master's graduation. So I guess I just wasn't that into going to graduations. I've presided over them at our school for decades now, which is wonderful. But anyway, having died to the idol of it, for me, I'm not judging anyone else. No, no, no. But for me, those things were just put in the box, and, and scholarship was just a tool for his divine purposes. And it's been a great tool, a wonderful tool, an important tool, a blessed tool these many years. But discovering it was like, yeah, that's, that's right. And a lot of hard work and, and cutting your teeth in, in a very difficult subject, having to learn a lot of ancient, difficult languages. But what a joy and what a good foundation and platform it's given for other studies and work through the years. 866-34-TRUTH. Okay, so one of the worst anti-Jewish, anti-Israel videos online that has been widely watched, I mean, hundreds of thousands of times, is Stephen Anderson's Marching to Zion. Now, it's true that Pastor Anderson is a complete fringe player in the larger evangelical world. He pastors a very small church. He is known as a King James-only fanatic. He rejoices when homosexuals are killed, say, as in the Pulse Bas- Pulse, Pulse uh, Massacre, Pulse Bar Massacre, uh, Pulse Club Massacre. Uh, glad to see that once gays executed by law uh, is kind of infamous for a message that he preached based on translation of some verses in the King James as to why it's essential that men urinate standing rather than sitting. That's actually a message. You still see it online. You think, well, why, even given the time of day, unfortunately, because the video has been watched by a lot of people and spread standard anti-Semitic lies. I, I mean, it starts off with excerpts of his interaction with rabbis. I was wondering initially, how do you get rabbis on? Well, this is in the Phoenix area. There were over 50 rabbis locally, so he wrote to each of them, and there were four that were willing to meet. I mean, one is, is a, human, a humanist. I don't even know if the guy believes in God, okay? Not one of them is an Orthodox traditional rabbi, okay? Not, not one, all right? They're, they're liberal or moderately conservative, just depending on, you know, you glean some from what they're saying. But he duped them. He didn't tell them. He said he's doing a video on this and such, knowing they would think as a Christian pastor it was going to be positive. Instead, he was trying to get negative information from them. And he goes on this whole rant about Jews don't believe the Bible and so on and how these rabbis don't believe in literal creation, Genesis 1, and they don't believe in this and this. Well, they're liberal rabbis. If you ask liberal pastors, you get the same answers. If you ask liberal pastors or humanist Christians, you get the exact same answers. Ask conservative Christians, ask religious Jews, and you'll get similar answers about believing what's written. So, I mean, it's, it's really misleading. Then he's got quotes from Augustine, he's got quotes from Chrysostom, he's got quotes from other early church leaders, and these early church leaders say some very negative things about the Jewish people. They say some very negative things, some very ugly things about Israel and the Jewish people, which he quotes, not to say this is shameful, this is terrible, this is bad, but he quotes them to say, you see, these Jews are evil. You see, Israel's evil. You see... They all said the Jewish people are no longer God's chosen people. Fortunately, he's wrong. Well, I should say fortunately, he's wrong. So in this book that I'm writing, where I confront and expose contemporary Christian anti-Semitism, we'll deal with the anti-Semitism of True News. We'll deal with the anti-Semitism of Tex Morris. We'll deal with the anti-Semitism of E. Michael Jones. All in the book, 
all with practical, factual responses, all with biblical responses, and then with reasons to have God's heart for Israel and the Jewish people. This will be a great supplement to our Hands Are Stand With Blood, which goes through church history, which goes through a lot of the other aspects of persecution of the Jewish people in history, takes you into the Jewish faith more. So this will be a great supplement to our Hands Are Stand With Blood. But let me share a few quotes with you. Sorry, I don't have these to put up for you. But these are all found in Michael Vlach's excellent book, Has the Church Replaced Israel? And um, here you go. Uh, Justin Martyr, okay, who actually spoke of the church as spiritual Israel, uh, he held that the tribes of Israel would be gathered and restored with, in accordance with what the prophet Zechariah predicted. So he said, Zechariah said it's going to happen, therefore it's going to happen. He believed there would be a future for the tribes of Israel, that they had not been displaced by the church and forever cursed by God and no longer chosen, but that God would keep his promises. Justin Martyr, Tertullian, these are all in the, in the early centuries and all highly esteemed leaders. He wrote this, for it will be fitting for the Christian to rejoice and not to grieve at the restoration of Israel, if it be true, as it is that the whole of our hope is intimately united with the remaining expectation of Israel. So it's going to happen. There's going to be a restoration of Israel. And he says that it's true. The whole of our hope is intimately united with the remaining expectation of Israel. That's why you should pray for Israel's salvation and long for Israel's salvation and support ministries as ours, which work to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel and, and, and believe it, it, that God is restoring the Jewish people back to the land as the first fruits before the spiritual restoration, first the natural, then the spiritual, right? That this is good news. And, and that as you see these things happening, it should be encouraging your faith. Origen, who was so famous for his allegorical method, actually wrote, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then will all Israel, having been called again, be saved. Yes, This was his expectation based on Romans 11. Chrysostom, whose eight sermons against the Jews remain infamous to this day, whose eight sermons against the Jews were reprinted and and distributed by the Nazis. Chrysostom, who had such ugly things to say about the Jewish people in the synagogue and Judaism. Chrysostom, Michael Vlach points out, who often made harsh statements against the Jews, but he still believed in a future salvation of the Jews. He linked the coming salvation of the Jews with the coming of Elijah. So he said there's going to be a real Elijah who comes, and Elijah is going to turn hearts, and Elijah is going to be involved in, in calling the Jewish people back to God. He expected it to happen. Why? Because it's written in the Bible. Because it's written in the Bible. Augustine, Uh, who had a lot to say about Israel's future salvation and negative things to say about the Jewish people as well. He said this, Israel has been supplanted to bring blessings to the church, but this time of being supplanted will come to an end. He said this, the time will come, the end of the world will come, and all Israel shall believe, not who they now are, but their children who shall then be. So he knew it wasn't going to happen now, but at the end of the world, so now in his day, at the end of the world, the children of the Jews who don't believe today will believe. And Jerome said this, when the Jews receive the faith at the end of the world, 
they will find themselves in dazzling light as if our Lord were returning to them from Egypt. Or excuse me, yeah, returning to them from Egypt. I could quote from the Puritans like John Owen. I could quote from Charles Spurgeon and Robert Murray McShane and Andrew and Horatius Bonar. I could quote from these leaders, none of whom were dispensationalists, because that's always the accusation. Nobody knew this before dispensationalism arose in the 1830s. Not true. Absolutely not true. And these leaders, even some of them with their anti-Jewish biases, still saw what the Scripture said. Tell you what, friends, I'm going to stay with the Word. I'm going to stay with the promises of God. I'm going to stay with the faithfulness of God. I believe He keeps His Word. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Holding up Muslim anti-Semitism can only be understood as part and parcel of the ADL's domestic policy of clinging to the left a left which forbids any and all criticism of religious or racial minorities, except, of course, of the Jews. Since Muslims in America are seen by the left as vulnerable and marginalized, and since they have been added to the left's pantheon of victim groups, the ADL, if it wants to stay attached to the left, must abandon its own mission. That's the voice of Dr. Charles Jacobs. He's president of Americans for Peace and Tolerance. It's a video that was uploaded yesterday, November 13th. ADL protecting American Muslims, fooling American Jews. So what's that about? We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. But it's something that should get our attention. It is Thirdly Jewish Thursday. Welcome to the broadcast. Here's the number to call, 866 866- 348-784 with your Jewish-related calls. Let's start in Richmond, Virginia. Jim, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, uh, you and I are like kindred. Uh, I uh, I had a, a, a same background that you had, and, but I, wonderfully I got drafted during the 70s, went in the Army, and then found the Lord over in Germany after basic training. But... Uh, my research, but before that, I read a book called The Source by James Mishner that opened up my mind. Have you heard of that book, Dr. Brown? Um, I haven't read it, and it's, it's a novel, correct? Correct, but, but James Mishner, when he does anything, he does so it, much research. Yeah, it's a historical novel. Historically, and, and it yep, begins yep. with the creation of, of man, basically— through and, and introducing the one true God and the, and the whole thing. It's, it's over a thousand pages of incredible. And it starts, the whole movie, the, the whole book starts in a tell outside of Israel yeah, called I, Tel I, Aviv. Yeah, I know the name of the book and, of course, Mishnah's work, but I, I never read it. I, obviously, well, when you describe it. it's about the Jewish civilization yep, from the yep. beginning. 
Yep, yep. And it's amazing, amazing, Doctor Brown. You ought to read this one day. It'll All right. Well, I'm just looking at it. Yeah, I could get it on. Get it on Kindle. It's got over 1,100 ratings. Yes, it does. Uh, yes, yeah, so in other words, it's it's, it's, a, it's a tome, buddy. It's yep, tome. yep. Yeah, um, and, and 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 it's so detailed about about what what is it what is it that most stays with you about the book having read it if there was one <laughs> takeaway have always been put in ghettos have always been put aside have always been treated a certain way you follow what I'm trying to say uh-huh. and and it goes from like I said prior to Christ introducing Christ introducing Yahweh to them. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. It, it is incredibly detailed in how Got they it. go from gathering food, you know, I'm trying to say, and, and, and worshiping idols to worshiping a, a God. Yeah, it's you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, Jim, when you read the Bible, say you read Genesis 1, the creation account, mm-hmm. or you read some of the words of the prophet Isaiah, and you compare them to other ancient Near Eastern literature, it's just it's amazing. Obviously, it's God speaking. It's inspired by God. But these are ideas he put into the hearts and minds of people. And and there's a book. Um, so, yeah. So I want to read the book. <laughs> the problem is just on my Kindle reader, I probably have over a thousand books and then many thousands of resources in my Bible and, and Jewish software. And then many, many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of physical books but the thing is like yeah i want to read that so i order it that's what i do that's one reason i have so many books but you pushed me to say i i, I want to read this there is a book that i own i've only read part of it it's thomas cahill's book came out in 99 the gifts of the jews how a tribe of desert nomads change the way everyone thinks and feels yeah so for all the anti-semites out there this is one for you if you're open, that is. The gifts of the Jews, how a tribe of desert nomads changed the way everyone thinks and feels. That was Thomas Cahill. Hey, Jim, thank you for the call. Much appreciated. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Shirley in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thank you for calling the line of fire. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Um, I'm wondering, um, the the, uh, church offices that Paul set up when he was planting churches in the first century, um, do you know whether those, like the the office of, say, say, um, elder pastor or pastor elder and deacons, was that patterned after something that was happening in the first century synagogue? Yeah, so... Or perhaps some some secular organization? There are definitely similarities. For example having a local congregation that was led by a plurality of elders, that was something that you had in the synagogue, right? So you didn't just have one person running the show. You had a plurality of elders. I believe you'd have a lead elder in their midst, but that was definitely something that was done in the synagogue, and that was similar structure set up. The idea of having deacons, you have a similar concept, which is the helpers, the shamashim, that would would be engaged in the practical affairs of things. How ancient is that? Uh, you know, that can be debatable. But that basic structure, you could definitely say, would be similar to structures that would be seen in in ancient synagogues and synagogue communities. The uh, the idea of say, the pro- uh, uh, like like the prophesying. 
No, no. So that's that's what I was about during, to get during to. During services? No, 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 no. You did not have no. So that this is where you have something very different: the moving of the spirit, the charismata, the the yeah. speaking in tongues, the interpreting of tongues, prophecies, uh, laying hands on the sick, dri- uh, driving out demons, and things like this. No, this was not normal for for ancient synagogal worship. Uh, Jesus driving out a demon in. in you know, in in the early chapters of the Gospels, when he encounters this, you know, Mark one, for example, that that was not the norm in a synagogue service or healing on the Sabbath, as you have various accounts in the Gospels, like Luke thirteen, that was not the norm. Or apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that fivefold or or fourfold division was certainly not the norm. Uh, but some of the concepts were related, and apostles would just be the Hebrew shlichim. Those were emissaries. Those were people sent on a mission. And that concept you did have in the ancient world. It just gets changed a lot. But the inbreaking of the spirit, that was definitely not normal in the synagogue. This was something different. Okay. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. You are very welcome. Sure thing. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Benjamin in Kingston, Tennessee. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Mike, man, it's great to be on the show. Big fan of you and your ministry and everything that you do. Um, Thank you. You're talking about the future of Israel with the New Testament. I can't help but go to, in the Bible, where it says that we're grafted into the vine. You know, Jesus coming was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and it's for God where he disinherited the nations in Babel, where he's just bringing us back in, grafting us into the vine. Yeah, well, here's a key thing to look at, Benjamin, where, where Paul talks about Gentiles being grafted into the olive tree. So Gentile branches are now joined together with Jewish branches in the same olive tree. What's really interesting is, is Paul says this in, in Romans eleven eleven, speaking of the Jewish people as a whole, the nation as a whole. Again, I ask, did they, who? The Jewish people, nation of Israel, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, notice this salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Now, if their transgression, Israel's transgression, Jewish people's transgression, leads to riches for the world and their lost riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So he's saying there is going to be fullness. There is going to be turning of the Jewish people, right? There's been rejection, but there's going to be turning. But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. So he doesn't call the Gentile believers spiritual Jews or spiritual Israelites. I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Insofar as I'm an emissary to the Gentiles, I spotlight my ministry. If somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them. For if their rejection, so they're rejecting the Messiah, then then being rejected under judgment of God, if their rejection leads to the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So they will be brought back. There will be a national restoration, and that will literally bring about life from the dead. So it is, it is uh, glorious and wonderful and beautiful and absolutely going to happen because God has said it. However, it will happen through the prayers of the church. It will happen through the faithful, loving witness of Gentile believers along with Jewish believers. It is together that we will see Israel saved. Hey, Benjamin, thank you for your heart and the call. 
866-34-TRUTH. Hang on. Let us take one more call. We'll go to Providence, Rhode Island. William, welcome to the line of fire. By the way, is it cold up there today? It is. uh, Currently, my uh, temperature uh, gauge on my car reads 43 degrees, uh, and we were in the 60s and 70s recently. All right, but that's not bad. It hit uh, in outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, hit 25 in the middle of the night last night. Anyway, all right. I guess it's going to get colder, though. Yes, for sure. Yes, go ahead, please. So uh, can I go ahead with my question? Yes, please. Oh, okay. So recently, uh, first off, I uh, recently came to know of who you are, uh, watched a lot of your debates, extremely impressed, and uh, just uh, so glad that there's another Christian hero out there like William Lane Craig that I can uh, look up to. And so I wanted to first say that. And second, uh, my, my question is, is that recently I watched the YouTube video of um, Messianic uh, Jews uh, interviewing uh, people in uh, public in Jerusalem and kind of quoting the scriptures, but basically kind of doing it in a way where they say, well, we'd like to tell you about somebody in history, uh, obviously they were referring to Jesus, that um, was a pretty incredible person, and this person said this and this, and they sort of basically quoting the New Testament. Long story short is that each person that was interviewed said, oh my gosh, what a great person that was. He sounds holy. He almost seems too real to be true. He seems like God. And at the, at the end, uh, the... Uh, stay, with, inter- stay, stay right there, William. We'll come back on the other side of the break and get the rest of this and talk about Jewish views of Jesus. And then some information, important info about the ADL. Stay here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire. This is Michael Brown on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. We go back to William, Providence, Rhode Island. So, William, you're talking about it's probably one for Israel. So Israeli believers talking to other Israeli believers, telling them about Yeshua Correct. without telling them that it is Yeshua. And they seem to really like this person, whoever it is. Yeah, go ahead. Correct. And so ultimately, at, uh, uh, at the end, they reveal that these are... Um, scriptures from the New Testament, it was uh, uh, Jesus' words. And it was amazing to me, the response. The response was immediately as if uh, a five-letter word was spoken, and people were became even antagonistic. So my question really is, is um, do, you, do you believe that there's almost like a brainwashing that has gone in? Because it's just amazing how negative the influence of Jesus has on the minds of those who are Jewish. Um, and it, to me, it just seems uh, almost uh, as, like a brainwashing uh, technique or a brainwashing event. Yeah, so here's, here's the problem. 
I, I understand that there is a veil over the hearts of Jewish people who don't believe, and I, I recognize that every person is responsible for their own life and their own soul. But what you have to remember is that for many Jews, the only Jesus they know is the Jesus of, of church history. The only Jesus they know is the Jesus that's been represented by hypocritical Christians. And if you talk to a traditional Jew in America or in Israel, especially a very traditional Jew, in their mind there's a straight line from the New Testament to the Holocaust. And the only one they know about is this deceiver who destroyed the Jewish people and whose followers have been Israel's worst enemies and who killed and slaughtered their, their people and exiled them over the centuries. So what we have to do is get past that emotional response and get past the ignorance and get past the deception with just persistently sharing the truth in love. And you can see that the real Jesus has appealed to these people. And uh, that's why the, the same folks who did that Israel, uh, that video will tell you they're getting flooded with requests from seekers. That person after person after person after person is coming to them. It's hard to follow up all the requests of Israelis wanting to find out more about Yeshua. So uh, there is openness. Jewish people are coming to faith left and right all around the world, including a trickle of very religious Jews. And we're on the front lines helping with some of that as well. Uh, So once you get past the initial negative reaction, your average Israeli doesn't know much about who Jesus really is. They haven't read the New Testament Little by little, there is teaching in Israeli schools that that paints Jesus in a more positive light as one of our own, you know, one of our own teachers that influenced the world in a positive way. But your average Israeli hasn't read the New Testament, doesn't know a lot about who Jesus really is, and has an increasingly positive view of Christians because of Christian support and love for Israel for more than a generation now. That's done a lot to take the bad taste out of their mouths. But have, have you read my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood? I have not yet. In fact, uh, like I said, I just recently uh, I t- came to know who you are, and I want to read a lot of your books, actually. Uh, and one of right, them so was— uh, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. Tell you what, William, stay right there. I appreciate the kind words. Danny, get William's address. I want to send you the new edition of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood— as a gift, all right? My joy to sow into your life. It'll give you more understanding as well as a greater burden to see Israel saved. So our hands are stained with blood, the new edition. I want to send that to you. So William Danny is going to get your contact info, and I want to send that to you as a gift. Uh, God bless you. Appreciate the call very much. All right, friends, can I encourage you to be praying for us We are on the front lines of reaching Jewish people with the gospel. We have a lot of plans and a lot of vision in front of us. And uh, with your prayerful support and your financial support, we can reach many more people. If you're not on our team, join us today, friends. A dollar a day can help change the world. It can help see many Jewish people saved. Go to AskDrBrown, ASKDRBrown.org. Click on Donate. Then click on monthly support, become a torchbearer, and you will be amazed at the resources that we pour back into you every single month as our thank you to you and our way of helping to equip you. Okay, the ADL, Anti-Defamation League, in many ways does a good job of exposing anti-Semitism and bringing attention to the rising tide of anti-Semitism in America 
and around the world and documents things and exposes some bad characters. At the same time, the ADL in many ways is strongly left-leaning, funded by many on the left, and therefore is not going to take stands where we would want them to take stands if it is politically incorrect. That's why I have mixed feelings about the ADL. I appreciate good that it does, but also in many ways I know it's going to come down on the wrong side of other issues. And on social issues of importance to me, the ADL is often on the wrong side of those. So the good they do, the exposing they do, the facts, the information that's well done, I'll cite it and use it because it's, it's been well done. But where they will get involved with a political motivation, that's where there's a problem. So uh, lead into this segment, I played a clip for you, or last segment, from Dr. Charles Jacobs, president of Americans for Peace and Tolerance, the video ADL protecting American Muslims, fooling American Jews. So I want you to hear some of the stats based on an ADL report about anti-Semitism in the Muslim world. Clip number one. Muslims are between two and four and a half times more likely to hold anti-Semitic views than those of any other tradition. Worldwide, by religious affiliation, 49% of Muslims hate Jews, compared to 24% of Christians, 21% of atheists, 19% of Hindus, and 17% of Buddhists. Yeah, that's, that's scary stuff. Very scary stuff, but that's reality. There's a lot of anti-Semitism in the Muslim world, and it was there before the modern state of Israel. It's been there since Jewish rejection of Muhammad's claims to be the end-time prophet. All right, it's been there since innocent Jews were slaughtered by Muhammad. It's been there for a long time. It's, it's there through Quran and early Islamic tradition. No surprise that it's there. Interestingly, when, when some of the most radical anti-Israel Muslims get saved, they become great lovers of Israel and the Jewish people. All right, here's more from the same video, clip number two. In the United States, 34% of American Muslims hold anti-Semitic views compared to 14% of the rest of America. In the heavily Muslim Middle East and North Africa, 74% of the polled population holds anti-Semitic views. The 16 most anti-Jewish countries in the world were all Islamic nations. In those 16 countries, extreme anti-Semitic views averaged between 80 and 93 percent among their populations. All right. And, and one more clip. We've got time to play it. Clip number four. All right. I'm not hearing that. I'm seeing it, but not hearing it. Um, so... Kai, let me know if we've got that ready or not. So bottom line, this ADL report found what we know, but, but documented in detail, the degree of Jew hatred, the degree of anti-Semitism around the world and breaking it down by groups and by nations and finds a disproportionately high amount in the Muslim world, but does not report that widely because it is politically incorrect with the left to single out Muslims, because that they're, they're a protected minority in American thinking and leftist thinking, and therefore you can't expose. That doesn't mean every Muslim feels like this way, every American Muslim, but this is part of the compromise. This is what Dr. Jacobs is addressing. Okay, last clip. You will not find the ADL talking about these results. ADL leaders have a terrible problem. Nothing could be more politically incorrect 
than finding that Islamic Jew hatred tops any other sort of anti-Semitism. Publicizing the truth about anti-Semitism and then trying to deal with it would, one would think, define ADL's mission. But its stated mission flies in the face of its current policy, which is to align itself as much as possible with the Democratic Party and the left side of American politics. So to stay anchored in the left, the ADL has had no choice but to bury its findings about Muslim anti-Semitism. The ADL knows it cannot do its job. It cannot educate Jews about how and why they are hated more broadly among Muslim peoples than among any other without being branded as Islamophobic. Ah, exactly. Well said. So this is, this is important to know that, yes, there is, there is good information that is put out by the ADL. Absolutely good information, helpful information, but it is often not going to be presented in full or presented in a slanted way because of the ADL's close connection with the Democrat Party, with the left, and therefore there will be compromises in the way things are presented because of which the, the whole goal of the ADL, Anti-Defamation League, to expose the defamation of the Jewish people, to expose anti-Semitism, that they get hamstrung and doing the very thing that they're supposed to be doing because of leftist ideology. We've seen this, but this report by Dr. Jacobs, Americans for Peace and Tolerance, really does nail it. I encourage you to search on YouTube for it, ADL, Protecting American Muslims, Fooling American Jews. And if you don't have my book, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood, the new revised edition, you need to get online and order it today. Wherever you get your books, get them or go to our website, askdrbrown.org. Trust me. It's a book you won't be able to put down. Back with you tomorrow. 